past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Storr. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun is set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. It's Tuesday, July 11th. This is episode 12, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm good, Brennan. I'm happy to be back. I kind of feel like we've been away a bit longer than we should have been. Oh, yeah. We are fully two weeks late. Holy cats. What happened? Like, where did all that time go? Well, I was out of town. Uh, then you were out of town. True. And then you've got those adult responsibilities you keep talking about. <laughs> yeah, like a job. Yeah. But what about you? How have you been? Well, aside from being a 34-year-old cross between Peter Pan and some sleazy detective <laughs> novel. Uh, Peter Pan and a sleazy detective novel, eh? Yeah, pretty much. She had legs up to here. Or she would if she wasn't six inches tall. Oh, no. Hey, you ever wonder what it would be like to get down with Tinkerbell? Like, uh, you couldn't have no, actual... No, no, Brennan here. Ian forced me to cut all of this and would like me to say, I don't want to say this. Say it. I am sorry for defaming the delightful children's story that is Peter Pan. In a grotesque and perverted way. In a grotesque and perverted way. Ugh, thank you. Now, back to what we were doing. Like that scene in Dr. Strangelove where Slim Pickens rides the bomb, you know, he's waving his hat. Yeah, and- yeah I know, please, for the love of God, stop. <laughs> oh, I take back what I said about missing you. Let's try this again. How have you been, Brennan? <laughs> I am good. Thank you. <laughs> that was clean. Thank yes. you. My mother-in-law's in town from England for a month-long visit, so we took her on a mini tour of the interior. Nice. Yeah, she'd been to Revelstoke once in the winter, so we wanted to see it when it was nicer and <laughs> it wasn't terrifying driving there. Um, it was it was actually something that uh, happened in that week in Revelstoke that sort of inspired me to put this episode together, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a little more later. Cool. But yeah, took the ladies for a tour, stopped into Soyuz on the way back. I was just in a Soyuz. It's a gorgeous place. It really is. Hot as hell, but I, I guess that's a point for weird beard sunbirds who visit there. <laughs> You're like a vampire, aren't you? <laughs> it's, I don't do the daytime well, man. It, At it, least the sunshine. It, I, it was really hot. Yeah. It was really, really hot. Yeah, it's too much. I, I guess the Soyuz was not your favorite place then. No. I mean, it wasn't bad. I stayed out of direct light just the way great granddaddy knows for two taught me. <laughs> and then once the sun went down and when everyone had gone to bed, I, I saw a naked dancing lady. <laughs> Of course you did. I'm almost afraid to ask. That's fine. I was going to tell you whether you asked or not. Yeah, I figured. So the rooms of this motel all face a central courtyard. It's there in a U-shape, and beyond the courtyard is a set of concrete steps to the beach. Right. Outside each room is two deck chairs. Mm-hmm. And Nick and her mom went to bed early. So I grabbed my book. I sat in the deck chair and read until I lost the light. Once I couldn't read anymore, I just put the book down. I didn't feel like turning on the light. I just kind of enjoyed sitting there in the dark. <laughs> of course you did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I noticed after everyone had gone to bed, all the people in the sort of the courtyard had gone away. Yeah. I noticed one guy on a balcony at the very far end of the U on the right side smoking. And I thought I could see just the ember in the dark. Yeah. And then the, a light comes on from inside his room, illuminating the, the deck. And a woman comes out wrapped in what I, what I think is a sundress. Right. And she starts dancing. Now, she's, it's quite a long ways away, but I could make out she was a young blonde woman. Oh, I'm, I'm glad your senses were all well, for that. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you that we were all hands on deck. <laughs> so I'm watching this and she's dancing and she kind of, she's trying to get this guy to dance with her. Right. And he's not really into it, but eventually he gets up and dances with her. And I thought, oh, that's sweet. They're having a little moment. Right. Uh, then he sits back down and she keeps dancing. And he starts playing with his phone because I guess he's gay. Wow. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> but he's playing with his phone instead of looking at this dancing woman. Yeah. So she grabs the phone from him 
and starts like, turns up the light and starts kind of putting it over top of herself <laughs> as she's swaying with her again what I assumed was a sundress. It's a spotlight dance. Yes. Yes. And so I I kind of because I thought at this point I don't really want to creep on these people too much. I'll just take some pictures and leave. That's yeah, exactly. I'll go get my zoom lens. <laughs> no, no. I thought I, I'm gonna look away. I'll give them their privacy. I'm looking right. at my phone. And then I just saw some some quick movement. So I looked up. She had a towel wrapped around her. It had fallen. <gasps> she was naked. No. Yes. So she picks up the towel, not very quickly, I might add, <laughs> wraps it around herself and starts, keeps dancing for him. And again, the, the, the boyfriend or whatever he was didn't look very impressed by this. He was, uh, yeah, he was not looking too happy. And just, you can tell my body language, he was yeah, yeah. pretty tense. And I had zoom lens. <laughs> <laughs> so that's another way you can <laughs> yeah, tell. Yeah. But uh, anyway, this happened like two or three more times. The towel went down. And, and she wow. was dancing and finally he, he had enough. He stood up and he st- like stomped into the, the, the room. Wow. And then she kept dancing with the towel on and like looking at him. By herself? By herself. Okay. And then she pulled the towel up. Now her, she, her back was to me. Right. I ass- now maybe they knew I was there. I don't know. Right. But she pulled the towel up over her butt, her naked, her <laughs> naked butt. And she was wiggling that for a, a, a minute. And then the- Thank God you got it all on tape. Oh, thank Amen. Yeah. For the record, no, I did not. I'm not that weird, just so we're clear. Right. Uh, but then the boyfriend, that was it. The butt was the end. He grabbed her and just pulled her inside. The lights went off. And then about 20 minutes later, I saw he was out there smoking again. <laughs> the circle of life. The circle of life. Wow. Oh, so, yeah. And that's how I met your mother. Oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> did you tell Nikki that story, by the way? Uh, I did, and her reaction was pretty much the same as yours. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad to hear it. It's anyway. actually it, there's sort of a running history of that because uh, years ago we were driving in Victoria, and <laughs> she points out to this apartment. She goes, "Oh, that woman up there is she's exercising in her bra right at the window." And so, of course, we all look. Yeah. Well, this woman was exercising in a bra, but like literally right in front of her window, like jumping jacks. <laughs> but she was not wearing bottoms. <laughs> And immediately we, we we noticed this, and she goes, "Oh, stop looking! Stop looking!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you're lucky with the flow of traffic. Otherwise, I'd still be parked there. <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> Despite the prospect of having you talk is scarier than any ghost I've ever encountered, <laughs> we're going to be talking about your book, are we not? We sure are. Wow. Even though by now it's really, really old. What do you mean? It came out like ten months ago. Well, I'm pretty sure that's about 36 months in book years. And I'm pretty sure that works into like 15 dog years, which is about 70 human years. So really your book is almost an ancient text. It's That's not even math. I don't, my head hurts. Whatever. Your book is old. Mine's not. <laughs> but because I'm a good person, we're going to talk about it anyway. Yes, we are by God. Book of charity. <laughs> well, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> that book is a strange little place. The hauntings and unexplained events of one small town. Tells a paranormal history of my small mountain hometown of Revelstoke. And when we come back from the break, we're going to share with you some of that history, including some high strangeness that has occurred since the book was released last year. Very cool. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to The Ghost Story, guys. Today we're going to be talking about Brennan's book of paranormal stories, A Strange Little Place. That is his small hometown of Revelstoke, which it makes sense why it would be a strange little place, seeing as you came from there. Go to hell. And these unexplained events go all the way back to at least the 1930s, which, were you alive then? <laughs> Part of your vampire lore. Uh, but you know what? I He's older than I am, for the record. <laughs> I don't know a ton. I'm... I'm going to shamefully admit this now. I don't know a ton about Revelstoke. So oh, you didn't do the research. I, well, I'm shocked. I read your book. This is my shocked face. I read your book. It was fine. Um, <laughs> so to get us, yeah, I read your book too. Yeah, um, <clears throat> let's start that conversation. <laughs> uh, but no, seriously, to get us going, um, tell us about Revelstoke. Uh, so Revelstoke's my, of course, yeah, it's my hometown. It's a little mountain town on the Trans Canada Highway, about halfway between Vancouver and Calgary. And you know, I, that is sort of my go-to explanation for where Revelstoke is. Right. But years ago, I was volunteering at some charity event, helping just sort of pitching in with labor. And I told that to someone who asked me where I was from. And he said, he had told, identified himself to me earlier as a psychologist. Right. And he said, oh, I can tell you've practiced saying that. Okay, like, thanks. Weirdo. Blow me, Sigmund yeah, Freud. Really? <laughs> I, I've come up with a succinct way of saying that to make these pointless social interactions go faster. Exactly. Just... Go take more clonopin and go to bed. It's 30 degrees west of this mountain range. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah no. it's 4,000 paces. Nobody cares. God. Yeah, I hear you. But yeah, it's, it's a small town. The, my life, the population, I think, has never, has been kind of between 7,500 and 8,500. Right. Uh, and I mean, I moved at the, I moved away because employment opportunities were pretty limited. You know, it was either the railroad or the sawmill at the time. And they're both lifestyles. Like yeah. my, my dad worked on the railroad and, you know, you're married to that. Yeah. And the, sure. the money's good. And used to be a great pension, but eh, I, yeah. it's not for me. Uh, and the town is, I mean, it's an isolated place too, right? Because there's only four roads out of town. Okay. Uh, north, dead ends in a hydroelectric re hydroelectric reservoir. Not great. Nope. South, dead ends in another reservoir and a ferry terminal. Yikes. Uh, east goes for about 90 minutes before you get to the next town. And oh, it's wow. actually been labeled the most dangerous highway in BC. Really? Why? Yeah. Uh, accidents? Avalanches, accidents. Yeah. Wow. There's actually a corner not far from Golden, which is the next town. It's called, I think it's called School Bus Corner because of a really bad school bus accident that happened there. That's horrifying. Yes. Yeah, Thanks. it's a bad road. Uh, going west is a little better. The next town's only 40 minutes away. Right. Uh, but that road's not less dangerous. And uh, it's usually closed by avalanche in the winter, uh, mudslides in the summer. And <laughs> when I was researching my book, I found in old newspapers every, at least once a week, yeah, uh, in old newspapers in the summer, there were fatal traffic accidents. Holy cow! Yeah, it's it's crazy, and even now, it's it's really deadly. I mean, is there a fun time to visit Revelstoke? <laughs> uh, no, no. Okay, no. good to know. Well, like I was saying to you before we went on air, it's become really popular with people who like outdoorsy stuff, right? Uh, which I don't. Hippies. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. No, I hear you. The, the dangerousness of the roads is if that's a word. I mean, it didn't really matter to me because I didn't have a driver's license. <laughs> and the biggest hobbies were skiing, snowmobiling, and playing hockey, and none of which I did. <laughs> that sounds like a living hell. <laughs> so let me get this straight. You have no driver's license. Yes. You disliked all the hobbies that kept people sane in the winter. Correct. And I'm assuming you had the whole avoid the sunshine thing going on back then as you do now? Actually worse then, yes. Oh my God. <laughs> Essentially you were like trapped in Rapunzel's tower. There was no way out. I mean, at least she got to brush her hair while you had to worry about mudslides and being mauled by bears. So, so you were like a sad bald Rapunzel. <laughs> and why did it take you so long to leave? I mean, I'm sorry to all the good people at Rebel Soaker listening to this right now, but honestly. 
it was it was a lot of it had to do with what I made of it. I mean, it's there are people now who are doing quite well for themselves. Yeah. Who you know like all the outdoorsy shit that I cannot stand. <laughs> um, but uh, I used to drink a lot mostly. <laughs> That was well, my, that was how I kept busy. We, we all find coping mechanisms. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, from nineteen to twenty three, when I wasn't working in either Radio Shack or my family's deli, good time Bren could be found pounding beers in the Regent or uh, in the Rock Pit, double fisting Southern Comfort and Coke. Oh my god, that sounds <laughs> depressing. <laughs> Throwing an emotionally abusive girlfriend who just tried to add me as a friend on Facebook today. No. Yes. No. Today, like I, I woke up depressed this morning, and then I I don't know four hours later I checked my Facebook. Oh, I have a new friend request. You got to be kidding me! So I'm officially psychic. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that's and, incredible. Yeah. So that was ignored. Uh, <laughs> I was horribly depressed, uh, but it was all worth it. it because you see, it was the cocoon from whence emerged the chiseled, golden voice, oh, sexual God. tyrannosaurus you oh see before you today. God, now I'm depressed. <laughs> Thus spake Brennan, left his cave. <laughs> Glowing and strong like a morning sun coming out of gloomy mountains. Okay, can we get back to talking about <laughs> Revelstoke? Right, 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 right. Yeah, so uh, once upon a time, Revelstoke was kind of meant for great things. You know, they they had a, before a lot of other towns in the region, they had a YMCA, they had an opera house. Oh, wow. Yeah, but the population of working age men was gutted by World War One. Oh, right. Something, somewhere between 600 and 1,000 men from Revelstoke alone went to serve. And of them, I think at least 100 were killed. Wow. So that's, a, you know, a pretty solid blow. And yeah. I think the way I describe it in the book is that it took something from the town that wasn't really, it wasn't physical, yeah. but it was very tangible. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it just, ever since then, it's been kind of, it, it survived, but it's never really thrived. Right. And even now, I mean, after the ski hill development's gone through and the demographics have really changed, there's still just this sense that, that something is trying to claw it back to its, this kind of joyless nihilism. Right. You know, and, and I really hope it doesn't happen because I, I think it's, I mean, it's not my town anymore. Right. But it's still a very, very beautiful place. Right. And, you know, you want to see it do well, even if it's not with you there. Like, right, right. oh, girlfriends. Yeah. <laughs> and from far away. Yes. I didn't know uh, any of the paranormal history either going into this. Like, I, I, Even though you were born there. You, oh, yeah. Wow. I learned more about that town in the three years it took me to research and write this thing than I did in 24 years living there. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah. So what prompted you to write the book at all? Uh, well, you know, it started actually as a family history project. Okay. Yeah. yeah I can see that. Because, you know, my family were a bunch of superstitious old wops. <laughs> so we sit around the dinner table. Look at me like that. It's our word. I can say it. Okay. Uh, but yeah, we would sit around the dinner table. And my mom's family used to talk about ghost stories from the house where they grew up. Right. Um, so I thought, well, you know, I kind of want to just collect these and keep them because they're fun stories to tell at parties. Absolutely. I mean, at the time, I didn't believe in ghost shit, any of that stuff. Right. I thought it was all nonsense. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I like telling stories. So um, the thing is, when I finally started asking people in my family, they didn't remember any of the stories. So they started referring me to people who they knew had heard a story or two. After a little while, I kind of got the sense of maybe there's enough here to make something out of this. Right. You know, I, I'd never committed to any project longer than literally a thousand word blog post. Right. And then in 2011, I did the, I blogged about the Mr. Olympia competition, just kind of on my own steam just to prove I could commit to a big project and finish it. Right. So I thought, I wonder if I could write a book. And so I did, just took the references I had and kind of built out from there. So would you just literally knock on someone's door and be like, hey, I hear your house is haunted. Got any stories for me? More or less, yeah. Holy cow. And how did that go? (laughs) About the way you'd expect. (laughs) I mean, everyone was fairly polite. Uh, presumably because they thought if I was crazy enough to ask, there's a chance I could be dangerous. Well, and they probably knew your mom. 
Right um, <laughs> yeah, there's that. It's pretty terrifying. <laughs> no, again, the demographic has changed so much. Oh, okay. Now, and the funny thing is, though, knocking on doors like that really didn't do me a lot of good. Right. Um, it just kind of pulled out some awkward moments and some strange conversations. Right. One woman actually invited me into her home where she was alone with her infant child. I mean, I'm not dangerous, but how did she know that? I mean, it wasn't exactly a busy area either. Maybe she's really good at reading people. Well, that or she's got the survival instinct of a lemming. (laughs) I mean, either way, she was a very pleasant lady. She actually lived in the house from the story of the graveyard next door. Oh, that's a good one. Why don't you um, start with that one? Tell tell us about that one. Sure, yeah. So the story of the graveyard next door takes place uh, fittingly in a house next to the graveyard. That's a brilliant title. It was a twist. (laughs) I was, uh, I dug deep for that one. Mm Mm-hmm. Back when the Revelstoke Dam was being built in the late 70s and early 80s, uh, there was need for housing, so they built what they called the Thunderbird Homes uh, up behind the graveyard. It's a small neighborhood of you know, cul-de-sacs and dead-end streets. <laughs> dead-end streets near the graveyard. Classy. Yeah. Yes. Our city planners <laughs> were either clueless, uh, mind-numbingly literal, or masters of the pun. <laughs> I go with A. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you and everyone else. <laughs> Anyways, the housing question uh, is it's at the far end of Corbin Place uh, cul-de-sac. In the late 90s, a family, in the book I call them the Gates family, right. uh, of course not the real name, uh, they moved into the house. They weren't at all bothered by the fact it was near the graveyard. Mm. In fact, they thought it was peaceful. Uh, and, and personally, that's always been my read on the graveyard too. Right. I've, I've been through there at 3, 4 in the morning and I've never had anything unusual happen. Oh, uh, well, here's an unusual thing. What the <laughs> hell were you doing in a graveyard at 3 or 4 in the morning? I believe we have covered my recreational use of alcohol to hide from my problems. Oh, right. Gotcha. Yes. Moving on. Moving on. The Gates family, uh, they didn't find the place peaceful for long, though. Uh, the mother, April, noticed at first. She said that after a while, the air felt unsettled, like mm. you were always on your last nerve. Right. And then she started having really bad nightmares. Uh, the teenage daughter, Emily, was the first to really encounter whatever was going on there. She would come home at night, and she would hear what she thought was electronic noise. It sounded like someone on a TV or radio. Yeah. But indistinct voices with white noise washing over them. On those nights, she would also see black flashes across doorways and around corners. Uh, like someone was walking quickly past just out of her field of view. Uh, sometimes she would be brushing her teeth, and in the mirror, she would see someone walk across the bathroom doorway behind her. Oh, and that's not cool, seeing n- that in a mirror behind you? No. no. So she'd call out for her mother, and of course, no one answered. Everyone was asleep. Or everyone in the family, at least. Oh, great. Eventually, whatever it was started manifesting to people outside the house, too. One time, Emily had a friend over watching television. Uh, he's actually a close friend and family member of mine. Right. And he looked up from the show and said, who said that? Oh, wow. And everyone else had no idea what he was talking about. And he went white. He told him someone had just whispered in his ear. So the friend was not a super ghost guy? No, 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 he wasn't. He's he's in a horror movies and ghost stories and all that shit. But uh, at that point, he was pretty skeptical. Wow. And I mean, he's pretty skeptical now, but I think he's opening up. He's been spending time around people who are very sensitive. And I, I think that's doing it. I think it's kind of, I don't know, slowly drawing it out of him somehow. Yeah, wearing, wearing off on him or something. Yeah. Mind you, when I suggested that to him, he wasn't all that impressed with the idea. (laughs) Well, people take their time to come around to different ideas. True enough, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, back to the Gates family. So the youngest daughter, Maya, was born about a year after they moved into the house on Corbin Place. Right. And that seems to be when things really picked up. Her electronic swing liked to turn on on its own, uh, started rocking from a dead stop. Once she was old enough to talk, Maya would tell her mother about the people she would see around the house. Uh, Of course, people no one else could see. Yeah, yeah. There's first a little blonde girl with pigtails who would sit and stare at her. Uh, and after a while, someone else turned up, someone less benign. Amaya uh, called him the dark man and said he was dressed all in black with his face covered. And sometimes she would tell her mother, he's staring at me. He looks mad. Okay. That would be a good reason to move. Yes. I think. Now, I don't know if it was the house or the family dynamics, but the Gates marriage didn't survive the house. Uh, April and her husband sold the place, um, split up, and the women all moved away. 
I don't know where he went. But when I spoke to her on the phone, she was adamant that it was something about the house that drove her and her husband apart. Uh, she used to say there was a rage in there. Oh, wow. uh, I mean, further to that, there's a piece of the story I didn't put in the book for various reasons. I think partially because it didn't come up at the time. Yeah. But uh, Emily claimed there was a night when she did something to upset her stepfather. I, I don't even know what it was, something minor. Yeah. But he snapped at her. And supposedly he was screaming unhinged. And that's bad enough. But apparently when he snapped, his eyes were completely black. Oh, no. Yeah. Not cool at all. No. Uh, That's what she said. I mean, apart from black-eyed kids' experiences, I haven't really heard of someone's eyes going totally black. Uh, So it's pretty extreme and kind of hard to believe. Well, yeah, but the anger's interesting. I mean, the black flashes, uh, the figures the youngest girl was seeing, she was even expressing that one guy was mad. I mean, it all kinds of sounds like shadow people, really. It does, yeah. I mean, there haven't been many stories of shadow people I've been able to pull out from Revelstoke. The most dramatic one, I think, was a dream, although I'm, I'm not certain. But you can read the chapter uh, in the Mountain Shadow mm-hmm. for for more details on that one, and of course there's gremlins, which are uh, little shadow people. Right. But apart from that, I hadn't really found much, so I always assumed they simply weren't around the area. But mind you, the last time I was in town, I saw something which has me thinking that theory is. Uh, well, we'll talk about it. Mm, okay. So, do you think the haunting in that house is down to it being near the graveyard, or do you think it's just some weird energy in the area, or something else? I wish I knew. There have always been rumors that graves were disturbed to make room for the Thunderbirds, but according to the city planners I spoke with, that wasn't the case. Right. According to them, the cemetery has always been on land deeded specifically for that purpose. But do you think they honestly would have told you if they had moved some graves? I mean, city planners aren't known for being uh, super excited to share that kind of news. (laughs) Yeah, no, of course not. I mean, who in their right mind admits to what's basically the desecration of a grave? Yeah. Well, okay, that's pretty metal. So maybe like one of those Scandinavian bands. (laughs) You know, they have their, their, their writing is all kind of hard to read and the desecration of graves. Yeah. 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 Nice. I, I mean, like I, I've heard of a band called uh torso. F- so <laughs> anything is possible. <laughs> You're probably in their fan club. Uh, no, that's no. a bit much even for me. Wow. I, I, I bought some CDs from their record label. Right. And so for a while, this is back in the day of mail order. Mm-hmm. So I would get the catalog in the mail Yeah, and you know, the latest release from torso f- was in there. <laughs> But I mean, and going back to the, the graveyard thing, this was yeah. 40 years ago. Right. So, I mean, I, I don't think many of those original decision makers are kicking around. No way. No and, way. and if they are, their memories extend to what would have been probably a minor consideration to them. Yeah. I mean, when I spoke to them in 2013, the family living there now had nothing to report. So either it came with the Gates family, uh, happened to mix with them particularly well, or it, it's on sabbatical backpacking in Europe. <laughs> I know. Either way, it's quiet. Well, I was just thinking about the whole graves thing. Um, in Calgary, when they built the sea train. Right. Uh, 35 years ago, they went under a graveyard and they talked about. Real? Ha- under a graveyard? Under a graveyard. Interesting. Mount Cemetery in Calgary. And they talked about having to move some of the graves they came across as they dug through and they reburied them further along. But they, they had to dig through and then submit the whole thing in. And yeah, they, they had to deal with some graves. I'll be damned. Yeah. So, I mean, it happens. They don't talk about it a whole lot, but. It, yeah, fair enough. I guess you wouldn't. No, you really wouldn't. So tell me about the gremlins. I'm not super familiar with. Not, no, neither was I. Uh, the whole thing actually caught me by surprise. It came up while I was researching a completely unrelated story. Uh, the one I was talking to kind of dropped it on me while we were talking about the haunted house they used to live in. Right. And weirdly, it's actually become one of the most popular chapters in the book. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Shannon Legro from Into the Fray Radio has referenced it at least twice on her show since interviewing me in February. Well, I mean, maybe that's kind of a cool thing because it's different. It's yeah. not in the mainstream. Um, and you know what? It probably provides people with some 
interesting perspective on something they're experiencing. It could be. I mean, whatever the case, some people apparently have gremlins. Hmm. I mean, I, I suppose you could just as easily call them fairies. I, I don't know. The, the remedy the people involved are given to get rid of them is essentially the same as people would do in fairy stories. Right. Uh, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I, we got to slow down, breathe. Think about baseball cards. Oh, gross. Stop. <laughs> just tell me the friggin' story. So the woman who told me the story asked me to keep her name quiet, so we're just calling Mary. Uh, her kids were super sensitive because her kids actually had a lot of experiences when they were younger. Oh, wow. Uh, but they would not speak to me. They're, they're really? grown age now. And they didn't want to talk about nope, it. Nope. Didn't want to talk about it, and that was the reason I had to change her name. Wow. was because they just didn't want to be associated with it all. That's really interesting. Nope. They'd be that against it. Yeah. I, I, it, it was disappointing. It's not like they had some good stories, but I guess what are you going to do, right? Yeah. No so Mary's husband, Chris, was adopted as an infant, but when he was in his 40s, he managed to locate his birth mother, who right. we'll call Janine. And she was excited to get to know him. Eventually, Mary and Chris went to visit Janine at her home in Lethbridge, Alberta, which Google Maps says is only six to seven hours away. Right. But I feel like that's full of shit, because I've done that drive and it feels a lot longer. <laughs> well, it's a really flat drive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, during the visit to Janine, Mary and Chris noticed that she had a lot of electrical problems around her place. The lights would flicker, her TV would cut in and out. Apparently, even her car's electrical would just knock out for no reason. Of course, they didn't know what the hell was going on, but Janine would wave it off and say, oh, it's just the gremlins. Well, they must have assumed that was a figure of speech because people, I've heard that before. Uh, you know, prior to this, I didn't know it was a figure of speech at all. Oh, okay. I, uh, World War II, they talked about gremlins in the airplanes sometimes, and they would they would say, oh, that, that's what the problem is. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, that's huh. where I know it from anyway. What a goofy-ass way to express something. <laughs> this from a man who just used the phrase, goofy-ass. Nice. <laughs> Point taken. Yeah, there you go. Anyways, on the drive home from uh, what would actually be their last visit with Janine before she passed. Oh, no. Mary and Chris started having issues with her truck. And once they got home, they started having the same electrical problems she did, flickering lights and so on. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they started joking to each other they must have gotten her gremlins. Right. Months later, Mary brought this up in a conversation at work. And a coworker who happened to be from Ireland suggested she leave them an offering so they go away. Like a dead goat or what kind of offering are <laughs> a, we talking about? Oh, a bowl of milk outside the main entrance. Oh, okay. Uh, and Mary thought she was nuts, right? Because she's just thinking we're having electrical problems and now I'm making offerings to yeah. invisible sugar beings. With, with a bowl of milk. With a bowl of milk, yeah. Like a bad cat. Yeah, exactly, yeah. 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 But she, she thought, well, it's worth a shot because by this point she was getting pretty annoyed. Yeah. So she put the bowl of milk outside and for two whole days, not a thing touched it. Not her cats, not the neighborhood cats. And not any of the animals, because she lives in a, wow. not a rural area, but it's, you know, there's a lot of trees. Yeah, yeah. Nothing touched that milk. And then after two days, the electrical disturbances stopped completely. Seriously? Yep. That is crazy. I, I know. I've heard of other things like that, where you make an offering to whatever. Right. House gremlins or whatever. Um, but the fact that it worked. I know. That's, it's, it's crazy. Wow. So, and years later, a friend of Mary's got a place with a new boyfriend. And as soon as they started living there together, they had electrical problems. Started with a faulty porch light, then it kind of went to the house, the outlets where the television was plugged in, then the microwave and computer. She told Mary about all this, and Mary asked if it was all happening in a progression from the door. You know, each right, new problem yeah. just a little bit further inside the house. And her friend kind of went, oh, yeah, it is. So Mary said, put a bowl of milk outside your door. You got gremlins. And her friend laughed right in her goddamn face. <laughs> Which, to be fair, seems like a reasonable response when you don't believe in the paranormal. And, you know, someone tells you to put out a bowl of milk. I mean, that's kind of weird. Oh, yeah. No, I, I get it. Believe me. I mean, fully a third of the podcasts I listen to are atheist or skeptical. And there are times when even I tune into the paranormal ones and think, you got to be goddamn kidding me. <laughs> I mean, that's coming from someone who's seen shadow people. Yeah, I've had that experience too. So, so I get it. I mean, yeah. but to her credit, Mary's friend finally got desperate enough to give it a try. And again, 
After three days and nights, not a single animal had disturbed that milk. Wow. All of her problems stopped. Wow. And the kicker, she told her boyfriend this, she thought she was, he was going to make fun of her. He said, oh, I've had gremlins for years. I just didn't know you could get rid of them. Uh, so the whole time this other woman was thinking it was a crazy thing, the just, boyfriend was totally down with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, just a paranormal nuisance. Oh, that's insane. Yeah. Wow. And Mary was extremely helpful to me in putting the book together. And I, I, it kind of annoys me I can't name her specifically because yeah. she was so helpful. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she she also helped me kind of give context to some of the things I'd been experiencing. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, because, you know, she's had experiences since she was a kid. So she was able to help me when I had things happen. Yeah. Understand what it was. Yeah, we haven't had a chance to get together for coffee the last couple of times I was in town. But hopefully soon we can because she always has something new. If not, that's happened to her, uh, someone she knows. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, she works in an elder care facility and every night she's on shift, she leaves out a bowl of milk and she's yet to have any issues, uh, which puts her way ahead of the other schmucks on night shift <laughs> because they've had burst pipes, electrical problems. Uh, I mean, who knows if it's related, right? It's, it's but it's an interesting coincidence. Yeah. O- originally, I actually wanted to call my book a series of interesting coincidences. <laughs> I think you may have made the right choice in not calling <laughs> that. However, it might work for your autobiography. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot less filthy than the ones I had in mind. Uh, yeah, that's a big shocker. Um, did you? Did anyone ever talk to you about seeing the gremlins? Uh, they did, and from what I gathered, they would just see them quickly. Like they look like tiny shadow people, right? But they never saw them head on. It was always in little flashes around the corner, corner of your eye, kind of. Yeah, yeah, like low to yeah. the ground, like mice or rats or that little black robot from Star Wars. Oh, and the mouse droid. I'm sorry, the what? The little black robot. He's called a mouse droid. MSE6 series repair droid. But most droid is cuter. What? Don't look at me like that. So I like Star Wars. Bite me. Okay, so I learned two things today. The little robot is a mouse droid, and Ian will fight me over Star Wars. <laughs> you can't win. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you ever can imagine. Who are you? What is happening? Look, I have layers. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, like ogres and onions. <laughs> well, let's take a break while I process this information. And when we come back, I'll let you in on some stories that have happened in Revelstoke since the book came out. Welcome back. We've been talking about the haunted town of Revelstoke, BC, Brennan's hometown, and the setting of his book, A Strange Little Place. We just finished talking about gremlins, shadow people, and the house next to the graveyard. And robotic rats. It's a mouse droid. Deal with it. Anyway, I was actually really interested in the chapter, The Girl on Highway 23. It was probably one of my favorite ones. But haunted hitchhikers, they're usually kind of urban legendy kind of thing. Oh, yeah. No, they are. Uh, the idea of a hitchhiker not being who they say is, I mean, that's practically ancient. Some people think the story of St. Christopher and the Golden Legend is the first, and that was, I think, the 13th century. Well, for those of you who aren't familiar with the story, and unless you grew up in rural Christian Alberta like <laughs> me, or you're a weirdo like Brennan, you shouldn't be. True. The story he's talking about involves St. Christopher being called from sleep to bear a child across the river, and after he safely takes the child across the river, he discovers it was Jesus all along. My child, where there was only one set of footsteps... This is where I suckered you into giving me a piggyback. <laughs> Pretty much. Jesus sounds like the kind of friend who always calls you at 3 p.m. asking for a ride to the airport. 
that instead of just giving you gas money, they ask if you want gas money. <laughs> they make you look like a cheap dick if you say yes. Then if you can power through looking like Scrooge McDuck, they give you five bucks and then ask if that's enough. Five bucks. Why don't you spit in my f***ing eyes and curse my children to blindness? That seems a little excessive in its reaction. No, it's honest. The airport is what? 25 bucks, but it takes you 417 years to get to the airport. <laughs> a cab is minimum 60 bucks plus tip. And you give me $5? That's half an hour each way, man. That's minimum 10 bucks, 20 if you don't want to shame your ancestors. So if I ask you for a ride to the airport, which I won't do now, <laughs> a simple thank you wouldn't cover it? That depends on how much you like your ancestors. <laughs> Can we just get back to the highway girl story? I kind of want to keep ranting about the airport, but you got to go to work, so fine. Uh, Olymp and Joan Astra are the people who told me the story. And they, they used to live on Highway 23 south of town. They had a fair-sized spread with horses and what have you, and usually a few foster kids at any one time. On warm nights, the kids would sleep out on the porch. I mean, that seemed weird to me until I interviewed a few more people and found it was just a thing that was done in those days. And did they have a higher rate of children going missing in the middle of the night? Because that seems like a great way to do that. Interesting. You think the two are related? Uh, maybe. <laughs> Drifters, railroads. <laughs> Apparently this was a thing. It, wow. It's too hot. We're all going to go sleep. I guess before air conditioning. Oh, makes sense. Makes sense. Um, I mean, I, I, well, no, mosquitoes. Yeah, I couldn't sleep outside. No. I was eaten alive on this trip. It was heinous. Oh, wow. And oh. Are you usually someone who gets bitten? Or oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, no, no, no. No, I, like I was when I'm, mosquito buffet. Oh, I really am. <laughs> when I moved here, someone said, "Oh no, there, there are no mosquitoes in Victoria," and it's just because they've never seen them because they're all in my house. <laughs> they don't bother me. Oh, it's nice for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I enjoy it. On one particularly warm night in the 1970s, the kids were sleeping out on the porch when they heard something in the woods. <laughs> no bad news. Never a good start to a story. No, uh, the road south of town dead ends in a ferry terminal, as I've said, and it's not particularly busy at night now. Mm -hmm. Back in the seventies, those ferries ran even uh, didn't even run as late as they do now, so oh, it would wow. have been even less busy. Uh, but yet, the Astra kids burst into their parents' room, saying they'd heard a girl crying for help. Oh no! So they ran outside with the kids, and sure enough, they could hear a young girl's voice calling out for help from the forest in the direction of the road. Right. So they called the police who responded immediately, but even after hours of searching, they couldn't find anyone. Doesn't it seem strange to you that they would just phone the police and they didn't even see if they could find her? I, I, don't, I don't know they didn't try. I mean, Joan was the one who told me the story and she didn't mention and I forgot to ask. Right. But frankly, if it was me, I'd have done the same. If I ever hear a voice calling from somewhere in the forest, you can bet your sweet ass I would not be going down to find the source. Hell, I could hear your voice. Shouting things only you could possibly know. Like, if you keep eating that much dim sum, you'll die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can hear your disembodied voice shouting that, then telling me you need my help right now without waiting, and I would still make sure I was locked securely in the house before I called 911. Oh, that's comforting. Hey, if it turned out to be you and not forest spirits, I'll make sure the police <laughs> escort you back to a piping hot cup of cocoa. <laughs> Aren't you the prince? Yeah. Well, yeah hey. Nice. Look, I know someone who followed a disembodied voice into the forest, and if I hadn't called him back, I don't think it would have ended well for him. Okay, well, so, fair. The police came to the Astor House after searching the road, again, for I think a couple hours, and said they didn't find anyone. A few years later, one of the Astor's kids was out riding her horse past curfew one night when she found a girl sitting in the ditch with a blanket wrapped around her. The girl asked her for the time, and, and that was it. Hmm. So the daughter, Cheryl, she went back to her mother, explained what she'd seen, and the two went out to go check on the girl. Uh, because, of course, you know, Joan said that yeah. a kid should not be out on her own no, that night. No. Especially in the, in the woods. Yeah. But when they got back there, she was gone. Hmm. Uh, what's even weirder about this particular story is that, according to Cheryl, her memory of seeing the girl started to break down as they were looking for her. She said she remembered it happening, but the memory had a kind of unreality about it. Well, now, do you think that was totally legitimate? Because, I, you know, I wonder if it was her trying to cover up what was basically an excuse for being out after curfew. 
you know, that occurred to me and, and I honestly don't know. I mean, yeah. all I have to go on is what Joan told me. Right. Uh, but I was thinking, you know, if you fostered that many kids, presumably your bullshit detector is pretty fine tuned by that point. Yeah, true. Yeah, I get that. I, either way, that was the last time the Astros would see the girl, but two other men, uh, brothers, would see her in 1980. Oh, wow. Yeah. They were driving toward the ferry terminal through a fairly harsh uh, blizzard when they saw a young girl walking in the same direction as them. They don't remember exactly what she was wearing, but they said it wasn't anywhere near warm enough for the conditions. Mm. So they offered her a ride. She said no. Mm. And the weird thing was she said she was walking to Revelstoke, but Revelstoke's the opposite direction. Oh, wow. They pointed that out to her. She wouldn't listen. She just kept walking. So when they got to the ferry, they had the crew radio the RCMP to make sure someone would come pick her up. Uh, but again, they went up and down the road. They didn't find anyone. Wow. Yeah. And that's the last time, as far as I know, at least, anyone has seen the girl on Highway 23. But that highway feels unusual at night. It yeah. does have a, a, a vibe about it, but I don't know what that is specifically. Do you think it was someone who maybe died on the highway, was murdered and dumped out there? And... I, you know, I don't know. I mean, mm. I don't know of any young girls who died on that road. But, I mean, of course, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. Right. But usually stuff like that leaves enough of an impression on people in town that it comes up again. Right. You know, it's it's, it's still a small place. And weird shit happens, but typically something like a murder or a, a hit and run. Well, not every murder is known. True, yeah, that's true. But then you're talking about a kid from somewhere outside of town. Right. You know, like a kid going missing or a kid dying is right. pretty it's big gonna news. It's going to be big news in town, yeah, for sure. But that road south of town, like I said, on either side of the reservoir, is just full of strange stuff. In the 70s, a ferry crew on their last run of the night saw a football field-sized shadow hovering about 100 feet above their ship. It stayed there for a few minutes, then just zipped off into the distance. It left behind a streak of blue flame. Jesus, that's yeah. not cool. No, no, no. Uh, the finisher for that, actually, is that each of the witnesses was dead within 16 months of either heart attacks or sudden respiratory failure. Whoa. And these are, I mean, I think otherwise healthy guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in their 50s. Wow. Uh, one man who was on the ship but didn't see the shadow is still alive. He's, he's the one who told me the story. He said the guys came barreling into the engine room and were just crazy right. uh, talking about this thing. And he said at least one of them was extremely skeptical. They'd had conversations about how UFOs were nonsense. And, but whatever it was apparently really shook him up. And, and again, I mean, who knows if their deaths were related. But like I said, it's a series of interesting coincidences. Yeah, I'm starting to get that. And at the top of the show, you mentioned having seen something on your most recent trip there. Was it, was it the girl on Highway 23? Uh, no, it wasn't. Uh, no, you, you haven't actually told me this story yet, so I'm curious. What what went on? Well, this is, I mean, it seems, so this one is, is tough because it's it's not all that dramatic. Right. You know, I mean, it's nowhere, I've never had anything super, well, I guess the shadow people is kind of interesting. Yeah, that's pretty dramatic. But uh, most of the stuff I hear from other people is a lot more interesting than my own stories. Right. But um, uh, one night, it was getting close to the night I was ready to leave. And I hadn't, I had seen nothing the whole time I was there on this trip. Not a thing. I, and I'd been out a lot at night. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I took some pictures. I think you saw, you know, I, I went out to the, the flooded, uh, the flooded, um, the the, the, yeah, the flooded river and took pictures Very you cool. know, in the bush. I oh, love thank that you. picture. Yeah. You know, I was out a lot at night, but didn't see anything. This one night, however, I, I was kind of, I, I was restless, but it was really dark. Yeah. And now it, it sounds crazy, but I have all my life, ever since I was a kid, I've had a very keen sense of different types of dark. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, you know, I like the dark as we yeah. discussed, yes. but there's a particular, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a particular kind of dark that I've always had a sort of just a natural aversion to. Okay. Like it's, it just, it seems, it's the kind of dark that seems to just soak up light. It's yeah. not just. It's like an inky blackness. Yeah. 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 Covering yeah. everything. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So this night was like that, but I, I, I really was restless and but at about midnight, everyone else is asleep. And I thought, you know what? I really. 
I've got to do something. I got to go for a drive at least because right. otherwise I'm going to be up all night. Right. So I got in the car and started driving. And I drove, I think, total about 45 minutes, 40 okay. minutes. Not long. Not long. And I didn't see, I saw maybe one other car. Right. Um, including a police, sorry, one other car in a police car. Right. And there's a particular shot I've been thinking about trying to get up on what's called the Eastern Axis, which is the road going east out of Revelstoke up to the highway. Right. There's a, a bridge above the train yard. And I thought that would be a really cool shot from the bridge. So I thought, well, I'll go up there and scope that out. Maybe I'll take the picture. Right. So I go up the, up the, up the hill cross the bridge, pull a U-turn and I'm sitting by the side of the road and I just had this really strong sense that, that tonight is not a really good night to get out of the car, okay. especially in a, like a wooded road. Yeah. yeah. So I just stayed in the car, went back down the hill and thought, ah, I'm just going to go home. Yeah. So I come down the hill and at the bottom of the hill is an intersection, which if you're coming from the hill, there's, it's uncontrolled. Right. But if you're coming from the left, there's a stop sign. Yeah. To the left, the road goes to the ambulance station and the industrial park. Across, and the, the road is lined by houses, okay. each of which have trees in front of them. I want to say like evergreens. Yeah. They're maybe like eight or nine feet tall. Right. Well, as I come down the hill, I turned and looked at the trees, just scoping stuff out. I was trying to find angles to shoot. Yeah. Usually if I see something unusual, my first thought is I saw something unusual and then I start picking at it to make sure it's not just me filling stuff in. And usually it is. Usually sure. it's just my overactive imagination. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when I looked at this thing which was a shadow about 10 feet tall Whoa. that looked like two legs joined in the middle. That's all I could see before it stepping behind the trees. Yeah. I thought it seemed strange that immediately my first thought was, oh, that's just the shadow of the trees. Mm. And then my brain started working on it and I realized that's not right. Mm -hmm. That can't be because it moved. And right. I feel like it wasn't lined up with the trees. Right. So I looked again as I was going down the hill to see if, oh, I'll just see it again. That thing wasn't there. Wow. That shadow was no longer there. Well, what do you think it was? I have no idea. I really have no idea. And, and I, that's why I'm not making any crazy claims. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I saw a shadow that was at least as tall as these trees, if not taller, when those trees are probably, again, nine or 10 feet tall. Wow. And it, it looked like. Like two huge, like two huge trees, the shadows of two huge trees joined in the middle partway up. That's all I got to see before it, before I kind of, my vision clicked out. So you almost saw like the bottom part of it? Or? I think so. Yeah. yeah. But it was huge. That's incredible. And I I don't know. And I actually, I was going to pull a U-turn, go back up the hill and come back down and see if I could duplicate it. Yeah. And cause I had this weird thing, like I really yeah. wanted to duplicate this, yeah. Yeah. but I, I couldn't make myself turn around. Wow. Because there was this part of me that was afraid I wasn't going to be able to replicate it. Yeah. Well, and it was probably that same instinct that told you, mm, tonight's not a good night for yeah. outdoor photography. Again, I don't know what it was, but it certainly put me in mind of, again, the shadow people stories we've talked about. I mean, there's, there, I, I go back and forth on this, but there are definitely Sasquatch stories from around Revelstoke. And again, though I, I know I have no, absolutely no idea what the, what the hell it was I saw, I definitely saw it. Yeah. So it's just a matter of trying to. Find a place for that in my head. I was going to say, put it in a box somewhere. And yeah. Exactly. Well, who knows? I mean, maybe next time you're back there, you can replicate it or try or something. Or <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I, I I, I, I'm dumb enough to try. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to leave it there. If you want to know more about the high strangeness in and around Revelstoke, you can order a copy of my book, A Strange Little Place, The Hauntings and Unexplained Events of One Small Town. 
uh, from all the usual places, Amazon, Chapters, Barnes & Noble. Uh, last month, I was in the West Edmonton Mall, and they had a copy of it on the shelves there, which was pretty cool. That is cool, but West Edmonton Mall is a place where dead things go, so. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, my book is still available on Amazon. <laughs> Victoria's Most Haunted, 32 Tales. Of Are you sure no one's buying it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, for a while there, actually, it was available on store shelves across the U.S. Mine is not, <laughs> yeah. so that's pretty cool. Uh, but at this point, it's, it's of course, it's been out for almost a year, and... Right. Uh, um, I check the Barnes and Noble site sometimes because I'm curious. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I plugged in some zip codes while researching this episode, and there's copies in still in Washington State, Ohio, New Jersey, and Materia, Louisiana. So nice. But yeah, if you're in the U.S., your best best to get it online. And if you're in Canada, it's actually all over the place still. That's awesome. Which is cool. Yeah, yeah. That's and cool. of course online. Um, speaking of Louisiana, uh, you have some news. I do, yeah. I've been asked to appear on the Paranormal Substation, a show on UPRN Talk Radio, which broadcasts out of New Orleans. That's awesome. When do we go? <laughs> yeah, I, I wish. <laughs> uh, no, I, I I love Louisiana, so the more time I get to spend there, the better, although in this case, it's just my voice. <laughs> uh, that's not till October, so I'll plug that again close to the date. It's still very cool. It is. Uh, speaking of October, can we talk about the thing yet? Uh, maybe just a little. Just a tip? Just to see how it feels. Oh my God, you're disgusting. <laughs> Drew Genius is never appreciated in its lifetime. H.P. Lovecraft didn't truly achieve fame until he was long in the ground. <laughs> yeah, you're you're just like H.P. Lovecraft if H.P. stood for horrible pervert. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was pretty good. Uh, thank you. Anyway, uh, yeah. we can't say much because we haven't firmed up dates yet, but we've been approached to do a small live show here in Victoria that we'll probably record for a podcast. Sometime in October. Yes, and I'm excited and nervous. As you said, it's all very speculative at the moment. We have no idea of what form the show is even going to take. Nope. Uh, but whatever happens, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm sure it will be. Expect Hawaiian shirts and plenty of gratuitous nudity. Nope. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. No, we really will not see any <laughs> gratuitous nudity. Well, gratuitous nudity or no, uh, we'll keep you updated as we figure it all out. In other news, I've also booked a spot on Haunted Voices Radio for August 29th, which again, I'll pimp closer to the date. <laughs> How about you? You got anything to plug? Um, my episode of the Paranormal Podcast just came out. I only know that thanks to you. So thank you for alerting me to that Gosh. fact. I am hopeless <sighs> at this self-promotion. Your press agent. I write your damn show. <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, it came out and I was happy. Yeah, I know you did a great job. Oh, thank you. Um, you can download that wherever you normally find podcasts. Not that I would know. And oh. all this summer, I'm, of course, still leading the ghost walks here in Victoria three nights a week. So if you're planning on visiting the city... Come by and say hi. I've got one tonight. Jesus, three nights a week yeah. in addition to your day job. Yeah. When do you sleep? I'm looking at September right now. That's kind of because the, the um, ghost walks go until 11. So I work eight, really eight to four and then I come downtown and I maybe do a podcast like tonight and then I'm up until, yeah, I get home about 1130. I had no idea it was that late. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. man. Two, two a night. So it's, yeah, it's a lot, but it's good. It's fun. Well, try not to work yourself to death, right? I mean, no one wants to hear me do this shit by myself. I promise not to die until it's convenient to you. Much better. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. If you want to know which night Ian is doing the ghost walk, send us an email at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com or send us a message on Facebook and he'll let you know. I will indeed. Um, also, we're still looking for submissions from people. If you've had any precognitive or otherwise unusual dreams, if you've had a dream that's come true or you just want to talk about it, um, we'd love to feature them on an upcoming dreams episode. So please send those in. As always, big thanks to Pizanta Music for our theme song. And if any of our listeners are musically inclined and have stuff they'd like us to run as bumpers, uh, let us know. That would be cool. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher. Share us with your friends on Facebook. Get the word out. Oh, and if you want to get my book, you can. It Don't is, know why you would. Uh, 
because it's brilliant. Victoria's Most Haunted, Amazon Chapters, all those good places, plus the local bookstores here in Victoria. And I just found out this week, I'm back on the BC bestseller list for the end week of July the 1st. Yeah, you are. Yeah, I am. You're a goddamn champion. Woohoo! All right, folks, we'll be back in two weeks with another episode, and we promise it'll actually be two weeks this time. I think we should be able to, we're both, well, I'm done traveling for now. I'm broke, so <laughs> we should be good. And We uh, got nowhere else to be. We will be here for exactly. you. Exactly. So until then, take care and be good to one another. Take care. Bye. Well, you, you, I just stopped. Yes, I know. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Jesus. Okay. I, you gotta feel it, dude. I make me feel it. Like you're really asking me how I've been. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you have to f- pretend. We're professionals. All right. All right. Look, look, in 20 years, when we're rich and famous, we're gonna hate each other, <laughs> and we're still gonna have to do this shit. We're, we're only- I mean, I, I was poking around in the bush taking night shots. Okay. Bad choice of words.